Hiya, Tim here, and before the podcast, I've got a quick note. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from New Order's Power, Corruption and Lies. All tracks are written by New Order. Bernard Sumner, Peter Hook, Stephen Morris and Gillian Gilbert. The album was released on the 2nd of May, 1983, on Factory Records. Enjoy. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hiya, and welcome to another episode of Tim's Listening Party in Absolute Radio with me, Tim Burgess. In each episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to an artist all about one of their albums, and we listen to it together. My listening party so far have included everyone from Dudda to Texas to Skunk and Nancy to Las Vegas. And I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to tweet me throughout the show using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party. This episode, I'm joined by one of the most influential groups of all time to go through my favourite album of all time. The reason why Power Corruption is my favourite record is I think partly because I was age 16 when I heard it. That was May 83. It's like those formative years where everything's really sinking in. And before that, I was kind of really into kind of second generation punk. And I'd always noticed the older boys all, you know, wearing Joy Division and New Order badges. You know, I was always interested, but I just didn't know what it was. And then a friend of mine, a youth club played Temptation. And I thought, that's really interesting. I I like that. And And what I loved about it was that there was an embossed sleeve and it just had the word temptation written on it and fact 63 on the flip and i just again it just it was like a mystery it was like i had no clue what it was but written somewhere small on the label was new order and then i read that new order were coming out with a masterpiece and it was called blue monday and i wanted to hear it so i listened to the radio and it was the top 40 every sunday and i heard this sound when I turned the radio on and I thought, I wonder if this is it. And it just kept going on and going on and it was instrumental and I was like, wow, it's amazing. You know, I've never heard anything like this. I felt the need to get the record. So this 8-track album I saw in Woolworths and it just looked like, you know, it's like a bunch of flowers on the cover and I thought, that looks amazing, that's got to be it. It looked like a recognisable factory sleeve and I thought, oh, I'm going to get it and put it on my turntable at my mum and dad's house and just played the whole thing for like six months just turning it over and playing it and it was just the best record I'd ever heard at that time and I don't think I've ever had quite an experience like that you know just nothing else no other records mattered really so it's my pleasure to welcome Gillian Gilbert and Stephen Morris for a new order listening party today an action an action thank you for joining me Stephen and Gillian from new order Uh, we're going to talk about Power, corruption and lies today. Uh, the first thing I wanted to start with, and I don't know how much involvement you had with it, but with the sleeve. The sleeve. What can you tell me about that? <laughs> There's a lot of stories about the sleeve, how it came to be. I mean, the back of the back of the sleeve, the sort of colour wheel, floppy disk evolved thing. Yeah, yeah. That was Peter coming to visit us in our rehearsal room and seeing the emulator picked up a floppy disk and yeah. was intrigued by it. So that's that. But the the front cover, one story is he just went to the um, an art gallery, saw a postcard <laughs> and said that'd make a good scene. I've heard that story. I've heard that story before, yeah. 
Um, I don't know how much truth there is in that, but it kind of, I, I was a bit taken aback, really. It looked like a box of chocolates to me. Um, oh, so he, uh, w- were you uh, super keen on it at the beginning then, or, n- or not, not quite sure? Well, he usually shows you at the last minute. Yeah, is. so you don't get a chance to be so keen like, or not keen. Because one was even at the airport. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've done. You're so shocked because you think, how can that possibly reflect the album? But in the end, it does. And it's just a genius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, at the time, it was like, Cadbury's. <laughs> but yeah, you were just glad to get a sleeve. Because of the late delivery of it or something like that, or? Potentially, yes. Yeah. Now, whether he was doing it on purpose, he's like, it's a good move, really. I mean, well, you're right. In the, in the end, it kind of, it really works. It's what they call it, a juxtaposition. Yeah, of, uh, that's probably the concept. Technology and pastoralness. Romantic flowers. Romantic flowers, yeah. You know, in my opinion, it's the best sleeve ever, you know. So um, I thought, you know, that I, I just wanted a way to be able to mention that, really. Yeah, they shall be very pleased. Yeah, and, well, he signed it, actually. This is my copy here, and he signed it there because he didn't want to sign it on the cover. <laughs> He didn't want to do it on the on the edge of sleep, which uh, you two didn't mind uh, doing uh, doing no. that. So uh, uh, a nice spot on the back. I mean, I've told you plenty of times, but I don't think Gillian actually believes me. But this record is my favourite record of all time. I had it on my turntable, my Boots Audio Two Thousand at my mum and dad's house, six months at least, and I just played side A, side B, side A, side B. Occasionally, I play Blue Monday. And then go back into side A and side B, but they were the only, they were the, they were the only two records. They were the only two pieces of vinyl that I played at that time, March, May, summer of '83. Uh, Sixteen years old. It was the best record, and will always remain my favourite record. So there, I've got that off my chest. Uh, um, you know, uh, 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 how did it feel that your records were in Woolworths? You know, did did you? have a, any expectations that that would happen? <laughs> yes, I used to sell records in Woolworths. I, uh, no. No expectations that we would be for sale in Woolies, stay in the thick of mix. Uh, it, was quite, it was quite weird. Being a, a regular Woolworths customer. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You made it, haven't you? It's a massive deal for me when our records started getting sold in Woolworths because the first few did and, and then you know, then when it happened, I was like so relieved uh, because I thought, you know, how can I love something so much and it not love me back, you know, by not selling our records? There you go. Yeah, take your point. Do you think Age of Consent followed a kind of, you know, Dreams Never End before that, maybe Ceremony before that? It was kind of a tradition of big guitar bangers with amazing sort of synth on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, Age of Consent was dead easy. Really easy to do because it was like us playing as a band, you playing synth line on top. Yeah, it was line. really, really easy. Just go in, play it, and it's kind of an up song. What could possibly go wrong? It, it was sort of a relief to have a song like that, that because the rest of Power Corruption and Lies wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of nascent technology on it, which we didn't really know how, how to work. In fact, the gear didn't really know how to work, it broke down a lot. Luckily, we recorded it at Britannia Road, <laughs> just round the corner from the synthesizer <laughs> repair shop. So we were going, always carrying keyboards <laughs> out to these guys, That's Ron and Dom. It's broke again, can you mend it? 
there's just such nothing wrong with it. Give it us back. So it's a concept, <laughs> right? Because it was just like from a jam, wasn't it? Yeah. Because it did a lot of jamming. Yeah, all the songs were sort of written around jams at our rehearsal book, Inching Them Hill. So even and like, uh, even, even the synth driven songs were kind of like rehearsed in a way. You did it in the rehearsal room because I can imagine some of the latest stuff in home studios and things like that. But, you know, with this record, everything was done in, in Cheatham Hill then. I mean, on the ornate Power Production of Life Super Deluxe box set, there is yeah, um, yeah, a yeah. rehearsal recording of it. That was sort of Cheatham Hill. It sounds all right. I can always remember everything we recorded there sounding terrible. <laughs> but it actually sounds all right, which just shows you how wrong you can be about things. I wondered how I managed to keep in time with the drum machine as well. <laughs> I just could barely hear it. <laughs> so it's like, what? You did very well. I did. You did very well. Um, Age of Concern, I mean, this period obviously came out in 83, but... I'll always remember seeing uh, the Radio 1. I think it was Richard Skinner thing in uh, 1984 and he played Age of Consent and In a Lonely Place and Temptation. Oh, I think. look around the clock. <laughs> that just like sealed the deal for me because it was like humans working with machines and it all kind of like being very human. Particularly the tension. The tension of it's the angst <laughs> I, I read it. I read that you'd driven from Cornwall to get there, and there's like you know so much pressure on everything and things falling apart. And, and I did read underneath some of the comments, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but for me, it's a real reason why I love the band so much. And after hearing this album, the deal was sealed because of how you were live and stuff like that. Somebody said underneath. Some bands make it look so easy, and you ought to make it look so hard. And I, ju- I just thought that that was amazing because you were using equipment that no one had really used before, or taken out live before, and things can go wrong. And actually, fans love that. Yeah, I know, I know. They loved it when it went wrong because we had to, <laughs> we had to improvise, which, which, which were sort of like uh, not particularly. Uh, Adept at well, we were actually. Yeah. See, even in uh, even in Joy Division, gear broke down, and we'd have to make stuff up on the spot. So he, I'm doing this there, saying we don't really know what we were doing. We, we were quite good at making stuff up on the spot. Well, you, you just get frustrated by the technology because it won't do what you won't do what it did five minutes ago. <laughs> and suddenly, decides change within a minute. Yeah, so it was working a minute ago. So you just improvise do what just people do yeah exactly so it's coltrane miles davis new order yeah, um, yeah exactly <laughs> well, the great yeah. it's it's a thrill to see a band you know like that working with new stuff testing stuff out you know you always used to write songs on the road and play them before they were recorded i i, I used to love that That's yeah horrible. i know that was part of our appeal look power culture and wise was basically written in front of an audience in fact, bits of no life where it was a thing that we did yeah we just get get an idea, and uh, Rob and so we'll play that new one. And even though we didn't know it, we'd have a go at playing yeah. it. It would make Bernard invent lyrics, which we would then listen to, censor, and then some of them were actually made it onto the record. The keys at the end of Age of Consent. What 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 are they, Gillian? It's the quadra. Yeah, yeah, quadra. That was our main synth. But there was sense. no sequences on Age of Consent. No, it was just, just, just playing, all... playing the quadrant. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was just two bass notes and a top melody, and that was it. Yeah. Just a single line. It always reminds... I don't not saying it's like it, 
But it's a bit like Living Turns Apart. <laughs> what, the fact that, well, I, not saying the fact that I nicked the drum riff off Love Will Turns <laughs> Apart? I've never noticed that. Yeah. No, I think it's because it's simple but dead effective. Because nowadays, I think, with computers, I think, you sort of go over the top of it yeah. and get rid of rubbish that you think's rubbish. It's like demos. Yeah. You think, oh, I can improve them demos. And sometimes you can't because it captures something. And I think yeah. that's what Agent said. The first time you played it, you thought, oh, this is good. Even though I'm only playing two notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, does it? I remember asking... Uh, Dave Charles, uh, Charlton's engineer, when we were doing telly stories, and I, I wanted to play Major Consent for a reason. I said, I, I really love it because the vocals are really quiet and, the, uh, you know, and it's kind of really driving and stuff like that. And I, and I put it on the big speakers and the vocals are really loud and really in, in your face and uh, completely the opposite of what I'd, of what I'd imagined. And uh, I don't know, it's a, a, it was yeah. fascinating to listen to it in a, in a big studio. I mean... What was it like when you got the playback for, for that and you realised that you'd finished it? How did you, how did you feel? Was it a moment? Kind of. It's always a bit of, uh, oh, thank God we've done that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the thing about Britannia Row, Pink Floyd Studio, even though they never actually recorded that, was the speakers. It was like a nightclub. Just yeah. sounded great. They had really massive speakers. And a rubble, as you'd say. Turn, turn it up. up. Turn it up. <laughs> turn it up and dub it up. Wow. So we listen to things quite loud. Let's kick off this listening party with the first song from Power Corruption and Lies is Age of Consent. from their superlative album Power Corruption and Lies released in 1983 I mean if Rob Gretton was saying dub it up I guess it makes sense to go straight into We All Stand which isn't dub but I mean it kind of like it kind of is right I've got two basses written down here piano and rim yeah. shot I always thought, how can they go from something so fast to something so slow? I always wondered, you know, is it just the only place it could go or uh, was it intentional? Because it, it's really effective. I think it was the only place it could go, Yeah, really. I mean, we would have tried putting it in other places. <laughs> uh, I don't mean it. It's like after Age of Consent. I mean, it's a good thing. If you just had a very fast song, put a very slow one after it and people won't notice how slow it is. Maybe. I don't know if that works or not. <laughs> um, and okay, I, they, he put his slide guitar, slide they That was he, he was doing. Japan were doing that quite a lot. I think, oh I yeah, Mick so, Mick yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Mick there's Khan, then there's yeah. then there's a high bass as well, isn't there? So, do you know uh, lyrically what it was about? That was one of those where the lyrics evolved over a period of time because if you listen to really early versions, God knows what he's been singing. Yeah, uh, but I, I think they quite like the end of the road business. Well, I think we did a lot of when you create an atmosphere, didn't Yeah, it's a very atmospheric yeah. song. Yeah, live it was always very moody, and yeah. it's a very very moody song. It's some live versions. You played, you played guitar. Man. Yeah, well, you did. Yeah, and it's one you played guitar and then just to, to, to sing it, and it's yeah, very 
evocative. Like, I mean, live it, it, it was it was always great. I mean, I, I've always thought. Why don't of... we play it now? You may ask. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why don't you play it now? Don't know. No answer to that one. It, it's one of those that's on. It's on my list anyway. I've got here. I thought you know the end of the road. Was it a feeling that you had in the moment of making the song? Was it, or was it reflective? You know, say about about Ian, maybe. Or for me, in the beginning of the Charlatans, I, f- I felt every album that I was really nervous about. You know, whether it was going to happen next time or next time or next time. I just wondered, were we ever in a situation where you were worried that it, it might not go anywhere? This was really the first album where we were doing this. Really, uh, mm. I mean, the first album. Was us was a still bit kind of like Joint Division esque. Yeah, and this was the first time when Bernard really got it, became a proper singer and started writing lyrics. I mean, they weren't on the album, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It was a combination of listening to stuff that he'd come up with live and like just filling in the album line somewhere. I think he did it all subconscious. Yeah. No idea what it was. No. And, I, and I suppose you had enough worries with like equipment, you know, brand new equipment. Yeah, yeah. Take it, taking it out of the road and stuff. Like that. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that was it really, because uh, up to this point, because we, we got all this new equipment, which we used on Power Corruption and Lies, and we'd never done a gig with it. Yeah. And the first gig that we had after finishing with some new road was in uh, Australia. So we were taking it off, stuff, stuff that barely works in the studio. You were taking it, <laughs> was it 11,000 miles to the other side of the world and expecting it to work when you got there. So it took, it. Mar- took Martin Usher. Yeah. was our Yeah. And fixed everything. Um, it didn't need to fix anything. Nothing it, broke down. It was one of those, per- <laughs> as, as long as he was in the room, <laughs> nothing <laughs> broke down. As soon as he left, it just went crazy again. Yeah. But it was great. It was great. It was, it was, a, it was a genuine boffing, my professor type. I've spoken to, um, you know, other people who were on Factory and, and they always said that you used to lend them your brand new stuff. So I guess there was always that to worry about. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to lend it and then explain how it works. Well, I, it's such, such, a, such, a, such a nice gesture, though, you know. I mean, that was part of the thing. Like, later on, after Power Production Lies, we were sort of like, we're done people have to do bits of production for them. It's yeah. Because you're helping other people yeah. um, get, get ahead and make records you would like someone to do for you, really. Exactly. I love that. I love that. But, yeah, I mean, I see this I, I see this album, for me, huge involvement from Gillian. Gillian, how do you feel about that? You know, compared to the album before. <laughs> yeah, well, I got more involved. Because the idea was to bring an apprentice in. I mean, I could play guitar. I couldn't really play keyboard. So I had some keyboard lessons. So I was beginning to get hung with it, I think. What was I called? I was a programmer. Yeah. I wrote down all the programs and all the notes and everything. So I was in charge of all that, really. Setting all the sequences, chimes up and everything. Diane Barton, who has been your sound engineer and, uh, and Charlatan's sound engineer, said there's a real art to what Gillian does on stage. And I said, well, you can tell, but I mean, it's nice that you keep saying it. 
not got worse. But you know, yeah. And uh, she always talks about kind of like the, the swelling of the voyetra, and you have to sort of like play it like way before the sound comes out and stuff like that. In the early days, you basically had to go on before us to sound check. If you were at the front, you could see the set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Julian's says, I had to test all the synths because... Sam checked all the keyboards. And then, of course, yeah, it's all working as soon as you go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So, I was just doing a lot of catalogue now. <laughs> yeah. No, you were playing check. It's good, but it didn't give you much time. And then I used to go... When we were in a studio, I used to go and find the piano and record a bit of the track on the walk and then come up with a part for that. Yeah, lovely. I sort of got more involved with that just going off on my own. Yeah. Where would we be without the um, full world? <laughs> yes. That changed music. Because <laughs> we just did it live, didn't we? Just played the riff on the sequence. Yeah. None of this linking it up with the drum machine. No, we just used a tape recorder. Just used a tape recorder. Wow. Play something over the top. And then Stephen got us tried to get us into the technology. And we went, well, if you just do this, and you just then it's like... It's too difficult. Just... Yeah, I just get bogged down with that, so yep. I'd rather just do the old fashioned one. So just play into the track on your own. <laughs> yeah, it was our first gift, wasn't it? Rob bought us uh, a, a, walk a walkman way. each. And then when that was well, that's when we started recording the gigs and oh, learning bits. Yeah. yeah, but I remember when I was at Tilly, the first child, in Stephen, as a present, brought me around an alarm clock. What's that got to do with I don't, but the guest, I don't think he'll be leading one of them. <laughs> and a sweet little mini sequencer. <laughs> well, I thought I'd get you occupied, didn't I? I think we had enough to get <laughs> Thank you for digging that one. <laughs> I love that. That is, that is so cool. I was not expecting to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. That's I was hoping you'd forgotten. <laughs> Let's hear the second track from Power Corruption Lies, We All Stand. The village. I mean, I love this because I grew up in a village and it was funny. My mum worked in a, a paper shop and every day on his bike, Alan Erasmus would come in and buy his paper. She got talking to him and, and, and they became friendly. And she said, oh, my son's really into music. And he gave her a badge that said Fact 51 to give this to his son. And then she said, oh, it's his birthday in a couple of weeks. So the following couple of days, he brought... Confusion, Low Life before it came out. It's like a white label of Confusion, some Jorty Cullen records. I always considered that Alan was like a, a big part of my growing up, you know, which is a, a beautiful thing. He was a big part of Factory, Alan. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, I, I, I thought that with this song that I might be able to do something coming from a village. <laughs> <laughs> like I came from, uh, and uh, so it was like a, it, it was a manifestation for me. So thanks for that. And uh, yeah, I wanted to get the Alan Rosner story in as well. I think it's one of the titles that shows our interest in the TV and video because I think the village in question was uh, the prisoner, Port Marion. Port Marion, yeah. 
although the village in the prisoner yeah that was i think that was where the title came and you played there in prisoner uniforms right yes we did we all got dressed up yeah it was yeah, good. yeah. yeah it's good yeah costume yeah <laughs> the, the village was elaborate because it was the first song that we did with the sequencer which had two bits in it the sequencer usually only had to play one thing which was okay because you couldn't really get it you could just play over the top well this we thought we'd get really clever and have two bits on the sequencer so it'd play one bit then it'd play the other bit which yeah. it always did at exactly the right time according to itself <laughs> but we could never quite get in with it so you get early versions of the chorus on the verse and the verse on the chorus. But we were trying. We were learning. It's such a great pop moment, uh, The Village, for me. It's dead uplifting, isn't it? It's really uplifting. You know, I just, I mean, I, I wondered whether it was something that was, like, made at home or something like that. It was another jam. It was, it was another jam that didn't quite come off more often than something like Ultraviolence came off. It's a really, emo- it's, a really emotional yeah. song as well, as well for me, I think, you know. Yeah, it's quite a psychedelic, uplifting kind of song. But God knows how it ended up like that. I really (laughs) couldn't tell you. This is The Village on Absolute Radio. That goes nicely into 586. Mm. Often talked about song, I think, this one. Uh, I'd like to know about the writing process. Obviously, you know, uh, you created, Stephen, uh, Touch 586, uh, which was kind of a soundtrack, is that right, uh, for something? And also there's elements of Blue Monday in the original version I, I've read. I mean, you know, I, I listen to it and I can hear the comparison, but I guess it was just like all part of the writing process to get to Power Corruption and Lies and... Blue Monday, I suppose. It was just a really, really simple four-on-the-floor drum machine thing and a, yeah. and a bass line, and you could just put that on and, and jam around it. The, I mean, the, t- the Touch 586, also known as Video 586, was a thing that me, Jimmy, and Bernard did in the rehearsal room. We just said, yeah. we were supposed to be playing, what well, we were, playing at the Hacienda. So we yeah. thought, wouldn't it be good to do a bit of a track and then we'll cut some video to the track. So we put... How long should we do it? Oh, 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> until, until we get bored. So we just like recording 15 minutes, dubbing it up. Then we went and Tony Seller with Malcolm, who was Thatcher's video person, and, and, and made a, um, a ridiculous video cut-up featuring the uh, slasher things and anything else you could get from the crocodiles. Man being even by crocodile, which is the bit I always remember. Has the video come out? I know, I know, I know, I know the record has. Oh, I think someone take Coronation Street over it. <laughs> I've got bits of it. I've got little bits of it, but not 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 the bit with the crocodile, unfortunately. <laughs> no, so that was the that was the idea of that. I mean, it was just it was a damn thing more than anything. Yeah, that you play at the end, wouldn't you? you could just play. Yeah, and then you get bored. You could just switch it off. Yeah, and then we got we got quite adept, but you could you could. Um, the gear that we had at the time was really good is that you could do everything's gone green 
and then you could just press a couple of buttons and then yeah. it would go into 586. Wow, wow, wow. gave the impression of being Segway. Segway. <laughs> but uh, am I imagining that it was 15 minutes long because of the length of a multi-track? No, it was just that's how long we could stand. <laughs> Listen to it, but I've run out of delay delay ideas here. I'm getting a bit hungry. Let's let's go go at the chipping. Yeah, no, there was no particular reason why no. it was 15 minutes. It just that we were just it just ended up being like that. And then when we went into Power Corruption and Lies, we kind of like structured it a bit, which involved Bernard writing an intro for it. Yeah. Which, yeah, which is kind of a bit related to Too Late, which was just on a peel session, but never got finished off. I remember Oki was always felt that the piece of music that used to intro was so good, we should have made another song out of it. Right, but right. No, no, it's just an intro, it's just an intro. But it's great, it's kind of like the opposite to Age of Consent, going into We All Stand, that you kind of got a bit of a atmospheric, quite slow jazzy almost intro then it goes into this marauder kind of thing which we'd never envisaged it doing that i never thought that it involved the track too late that's a revelation very, to me I, I get it now very, i get it but but uh, uh, but only slightly in my head you know i could mash them both together maybe slightly yeah yeah oh. it's kind of the same sort of vibe about it probably completely unconscious of course, of course, yeah. But I mean, that that that's part of the writing process. I mean, I was going to mention, like you know, the 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 peel session version of Five Eight Six and Too Late was on that, as was Turn, yeah. Turn the Heater on. I mean, you had an abundance of songs at this time, didn't you? I mean, there's like Murder, Thieves Like Us, and Confusion that aren't mentioned with this album, or probably not finished yet. But you're on a roll, right? Really? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we were just doing it, just going to GML. Was it twice a week? Yeah. yeah, just going twice a week and just going and write. We'd, you know, occasionally you'd go through the set if you had a gig. But yeah. you, you're doing it all the time. And the thing about writing is that if you, if you do it all the time, you get on the roll. We were very prolific. Yeah. And it was interesting because we were learning more from the... Yeah, especially Blue Monday. Yeah, that was... You a... didn't really get rid of the riffs and just use them. You had so many that you used them in different sections of the song. Yeah. yeah. That was a... Structuring, which yeah. never really, never, never done before, because uh, everything was just sort in. of like done with nuts when we were doing it live. We just yeah. it I mean, we did it in the studio and just edited it, and then we had to go to Australia and play it live. It's been as well as impossible. Said, never, never been able to play this live. Just spent how many days? Right, we wrote it all down on a graph paper. It was <laughs> Oh, we did it. We did it. We did it. I've seen you, Gillian, make the impossible possible um, when we did World in Motion together in Macclesfield. Uh, me... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for that. I was trying to brush that out on the memory. That's another Wallace and Gromit moment. Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, right, okay. So, so here's the way I see it. New Order being my favourite band, going to see them a lot and not never knowing whether there's going to be an encore to actually be backstage with you that day as part of, uh, a new, you know, we played Love Vigilantes and Love of Terrors Apart, maybe a song of mine, and then Gillian wanted to come on and do more, and, and we'd not really rehearsed World in Motion, but it was around about the time of 
the football, wasn't it? It was like um, was it the World yeah. World, World, World Cup or, or maybe the European Championship? But Julian's determination for us to go back on stage was so infectious. And I thought at that moment, I thought this is why <laughs> this is why New Order do come on to do on cores now and again. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you think about that, Gillian? <laughs> it, it was a moment in time. Moment in time. Not forever. Gone forever. <laughs> It was brilliant. Well, thank yeah. you, Tim. Look, perhaps not the best world in motion version now, but, but it had spirit. That's amazing. Oh, yes. Of course, I remember being at the Hacienda and all the lights were on, I think, when you came back on stage. Yeah, people, you know, everyone had yeah. let. <laughs> but, yeah. That did happen a lot, you know. We've all gone over. <laughs> Let's play 586. New Order playing on Absolute Radio with 586 taken from their 1983 album Power, Corruption and Lies. Part of the appeal of New Order was you know those moments of no interviews, no autographs, no encores, song titles that you know weren't even mentioned in the song. It seemed like no singles. <laughs> no singles, no singles. It's like what what's not to like, you know? It's like all these things are kind of like, you know, blown out of proportion because, you know, I've got your autograph and, you know, and I met I've met you backstage and, you know, interviews did happen. But there's something so much more than just the band. And that was a huge part of the appeal for me uh, growing up. Well, we didn't think about it really in terms of we've got a policy and this is it. I just didn't want to do what other bands did. All things which you could look at, which were possibly uh, to the detriment of uh, your career. If you were actually trying to make a career out of it, which I don't think we were, we were just we were just wanting to enjoy ourselves, make music, and hopefully play it to people. I mean, Factory, Tony was quite idealistic about it, and he he kind of encouraged us or he, he liked the fact that we didn't want to do photo sessions so we liked all that stuff yeah and we were just trying to do the things that were good you know that yeah good sounded good and the bands on factory were good yeah yeah they were they really were and also we didn't go in for a promotion which was like always annoying quite rightly i mean a lot of the bands on factory because we, we, we go and produce records for them and spend a lot of time making really good singles and then factory put them out in a lovely sleeve and nobody buying because <laughs> they never heard about them but I mean that was another bit of the charm because people would collect them and they'd become rarities but at the time it's like I hope I'd be playing my record on the radio we just didn't want to play the showbiz game and all that but yeah but it was stupid by like doing the stupid thing of not miming on top of the pops, which is a classic example of missing the point that top of the pops was supposed to be like that. 
if you want to play live, go on the old grey bloody whistle test. <laughs> yeah, never thought, never thought of that. Yeah, the cameraman was very amazed because he started off on me, and then he said, "She doesn't move. Can we get another camera angle on somebody who moves?" Because <laughs> don't move a bloody muscle. <laughs> you were supposed to jig about like Slade or the Sweet and then. We didn't what the get the, uh, memo, did we? No, we didn't get the memo on that. <laughs> Neither did they. No. And I've also written down here Gillian doing interviews in the bath, uh, which uh, oh, was, yeah. uh, which was, you know, that was another kind of like, you know, the thing that not everybody did, right? Well, <laughs> well, we made a list, didn't we? Because that was it. We're making the film. That was a play at home thing. That we yeah, that, before, uh, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, because we all had to come up with some. Yes, we did. Unusual places. Yeah. Rob, wanted, Rob wanted to interview himself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Martin, when we, Martin had fell out with a spot outside, he wouldn't talk to us unless he was provided with a firearm. Yes, um, which he has. That, that was Bernard's idea. Of, oh, yeah. yeah. It's to take Pete Savile to a run-down calf. Greasy spoon. It's to interview him, which he thought would be like, very unlikely place to have Peter Savile to be um, interviewed, yeah. Yeah. I think the idea was just interviewing Tony Wilson in the bats. The idea <laughs> was Tony you was to interview Tony naked, but I think he I think Tony said he'd only do it if you got in the bath with him. Yeah. So you did. Fantastic. Did. Wedding dress. Yeah, I had to buy shoes because I've never worn shoes. Wow. Was there a budget for the shoes? No. No, we don't. We, didn't. <laughs> we didn't have budgets. We had some sandwiches at the end, you boy. Yeah, we, we, just, we just got paid in sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on to the first track inside too. Your Silent Face. Is there a better song ever? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. You can't really say with your own... You don't really... Listen to your own songs. I've been thinking of your own songs in the same way that other people have. I couldn't, no, I couldn't think of it in the terms of it being the best song ever. It's very good of you to say it. Yeah, I, I, I think it, you know. Um, yeah, I do. It was a homage in some respects to Kraftwerk. That's why it's called. Well, we was always called KW1. Yeah, yeah. Silent Faces, what it is officially. And I think it's very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Uh, yeah. The music on it, and then typical New Order. We have to say probably a bad time. So why don't you <laughs> off? Just to sort of a juxtapose, counteract. Yeah, to, just to counteract the fact yeah. that it, it might be somehow. This isn't really nice. No, no. Down, bring it down to it, <laughs> and uh, away from Dusseldorf and. Um, strings and things like that. But it was trying to be like a classical piece. It was trying to be a classical piece, yeah. It's really romantic and, and I guess deadpan with the vocals as well, you know, and I think that juxtaposition yeah. works really well. I mean, I don't expect you to answer this really, but I mean, who played what? Obviously, I've got melodic, uh, Melodica Bernard, bass hooky, but then everything else, I think, you know, yeah. it, the mystery is there for the for the listener and, and obviously you don't have to break the mystery but it's it, i think it's kind of interesting to know 
what else was going on? Well, I remember when we did Power Corrupts and Lies, getting, getting that paranoid because I wasn't actually doing that much. Oh. You know, drumming. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. Like messing, messing, messing about with drum machines, but it's kind of like, I'm not really playing the drums much on this record, am I? But it just kind of got in the way, really, and, uh, in the studio. It just sounded great. We just yeah, built just trying to sparkliness. Yeah. yeah. And then we had, uh, oh, then we have the, the other thing we had was the emulator. That was my job, making the emulator work. Is that where the floppy disk came from, the emulator? Yeah, yeah. the emulator. Because we couldn't afford a Fairlight. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't afford a Fairlight. Yes. Kate Bush had one and... Yeah, everybody has one. Trevor Yeah, It did the same thing. And it was a lot it was a lot easier to understand. You just stuck yeah. a floppy disk in and press load. And they even got that one on top of the box, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and you marvellously yeah, got all sorts of different sounds out of it. Motorbikes, you know. It was like, <laughs> it was like another machine. Like, Ooh, this yeah. is really yeah. good. What can yeah. you not it's do on this? So, yeah, so, I mean, that was on. Silent face as well. Yeah, yeah. I first heard it on the radio, and I think it just had a. It was before I bought the album. It was a late night radio, you know, with my mate, and we were kind of into second generation punk, really. Uh, so we we're well into exploited and anti pasty, <laughs> and up until that moment, I could say that we were playing that kind of music, and then when I heard your silent face, I kind of thought. Who is this? You know, who, who's this band? Who's this band? And it all started to piece together, and, and I'd, I'd say it was probably that more so than Temptation and, and, and Blue Monday. Really, it's just that was that was the one. Let's hear it. First track from Side Two on Power Cup Channel Lies. Your silent face. In a vacuum may seem a waste of time It's always been just the same No hearing or breathing No movement, no lyrics, just nothing A sign that leads the way That was the classic Your Silent Face on Absolute Radio. I'm Tim Burgess and I'm having a listening party with New Order Stephen Morris and Gillian Gilbert about power, corruption and lies. I know it's not on the album, but, you know, it's it's exciting to talk about Confusion. That video on the trips to New York and Jelly Bean, and I guess um, Madonna was around at that time. I've always been yeah. interested in, in Madonna. I, I missed the Hacienda performance, but she did yeah, She did walk through the dressing room backstage at a Charlatan's gig and uh, told me that I was gross. But... Um, <laughs> but but I, I, the reason why I was gross, and she had she had sunglasses on, and two bodyguards in front of her, two behind her, but I was lying on a tray of sandwiches. <laughs> there you go, there you go. So so when you were in you know in the video for Confusion, and you were all in the uh, and there's the photographs as well, the Kevin Cummins photographs where you're all in the DJ booth with uh, Jelly Bean. Was Madonna around then? No, nobody with any sense was around then because it's four in the morning. <laughs> We'd just done a gig in New Jersey, and then we drove all the way from New Jersey to the fun house in uh, the Elf's Kitchen, and just didn't know <laughs> what bloody time it was. And there's a picture of the, the, when Bernard was one of Kevin's pictures where Bernard's walking down the street outside the fun house with his hands in his pocket, 
and that must have been about half five, six o'clock. And we've just been up nearly 24 hours. Yeah. And no idea. Uh, they're going in, um, oh, here's Jellybean. Here's Jellybean. Yeah. Well, what? <laughs> <laughs> he was tiny, yeah. He was tiny. Next to it was great. No, the fun house was great. It was a really great atmosphere because it was like, I think it's the first time you've seen anybody doing like proper athletic break dancing and all all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved all that early hip hop stuff. It was, it was um, very interesting. It was kind of like, you could see it being a, an American version of punk, really. Yeah. The way yeah. it's all like, just like kids in the street just getting like drum machines and they blast it and just making it up. And they were in, a, in, yeah. a, in, a, in another cultural revolution. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're at the heart of it. Ultraviolence. Ultraviolence was another one of them, those jamming songs. That was where the patricide came from because the first yeah. line was Who Killed My Father. Yeah. It's quite an angry, violent song. We listen to Clockwork Orange soundtrack a lot. Yeah. Going to and from the studio, the cassette of the soundtrack. Uh, Wendy yeah, Carlos, yeah. And that was the other thing on Your Silent Face, was to like trying to do something that's a bit like that. A bit like the, you know, the synthy, synthy orchestra stuff on yeah. uh, of Wendy Carlos. Here's the sixth song for Power Pitch Life, it's called Ultraviolence. Ultraviolence on Tim's listening party on Absolute Radio. Ecstasy was an instrumental that refused to become a song. Vocoda. Vocoda. Yeah, well, Bernard had just built just built a vocoder look. (laughs) The last of his series of electronic kits, uh, as he'd done since, he'd done the sequencer, then he completed the trilogy with this vocoder, which was actually a brilliant. It was a really good vocoder. That what happened to it because it's on Blue Monday, right? And it's on obviously on uh, Ecstasy as well. God knows what what I'm saying. I've lost my way. I can know that bit. Uh, they were just so, I think they were just kind of random lines that we come up with because we ended up with two instrumentals, yeah, uh, Ecstasy, yeah, and Murder. Which yes. is obviously my favourite. We've we just got <laughs> we just got bits of two thousand and one Caligula. That I mean that, that that every video that we watched when we finished in the studio, we'd go home, have some burnt toast and watch <laughs> watch the video and all the videos got sampled up and used used on murder. But we decided I, I thought let's put murder on it. Uh, but no no. So we ended up with ecstasy instead. Which is probably Emotionally, a better way to go, I think. Uh, a little bit of trivia: Charlotte and did a cover version of "Murder." Did you really? Oh, well done! It, it's out. Thanks. Oh, there somewhere. So uh, I didn't know it was oh, your favorite. I didn't know it was your favorite. I'll but... go and have a look at that. <laughs> this is the next track from New Order's 1983 album, "Power, Corruption, and Lies." 
It's called Ecstasy. taken from New Order's Power Crimson and Lies, and I'm speaking to Stephen Morris and Gillian Gilbert about the record now. Well, my favourite's actually Leave Me Alone. Yeah, uh, it's actually possibly mine as well, and I'm not just saying that to copy you, Stephen, but, you know, the album's, you know, just full of full of gems, but Leave Me Alone, it's an emotional, I've got to say roller coaster, but it's not, it's just a, it's got this motion that just is so addictive, I think. It's the, it's like the, the, the other bookend to Age of Consent, I suppose, and quite similar guitar in, in its setup of guitar synth and drums it's quite final leave me alone yeah it's kind of builds up this tension all the way through to some musically this is yeah and then when it gets to the end as you think oh it's like a great sense of relief when it breaks it no it's just a lovely song I think. yeah it's a lovely song the, the lyrics the lyrics are fantastic the intro is long and the outro is long and i, I mean i've written here that it's the greatest ending uh, but you know it's my favourite record so it's bound to be my gr- the greatest ending but you know did it start in in rehearsals was it a jam kind of like Age of Consent and well like the rest of the album I didn't know the rest of the album was a jam but started off as jams yeah I mean they were quite easy because he would just start playing one riff live and then Bernard could come up with a verse and then when he stopped singing you'd go into the other bits yeah. and then go back to the first bit again so it was it, it, it was like really easy just have two bits and then improvise some singing over the top it, it was called darkest night wasn't it for a while nothing leave me alone but. so i suppose like in a, in a way for me you were becoming new order the new version of new order and ceremony was there and then he did temptation and then if you went back to do another guitar song you'd have all the knowledge of the synthesizers and the arpeggiators and the uh, sequences I think Temptation was a good example. Having a sequencer and then having loads of great guitarists at the top. Yeah. That's more like a guitarist song to us. It's a bit of both. I think it works best when you get them, get them both together, but then when you get to Power Culture and Lies, it's like stuff that Blue Monday, no, <laughs> no guitars at all. And then there's two songs just like all guitars. I mean, there's no keyboard that leave you alone, so it's just guitars. This is the track that closes side two of the record. It's Leave Me Alone. You get these words wrong. I just smile. But from my head to my toes, from my knees to my eyes, every time I watch the sky, for these last few days, leave me alone. But for these last few Order with Leave Me Alone on Absolute Radio. Tim Burgess here, still joined by Stephen Morris and Julian Gilbert. That's the end of the album, but can we just do Blue Monday as a tag on at the end? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Obviously, it was a single that came to promote the album, but it wasn't on the album. That was a 
fine example of the contrariness. And it's very new, a very new order thing. Yeah. Because like, when we were doing it, right, I mean, Rob thought it was great. It was fantastic. Gonna be bigger. And it's like. We like. I don't I think so. No. <laughs> it, was it was interesting to do. Doing it, yeah. It, it was interesting to do, and then it was kind of like Scott had been single this. It's like six minutes long. <laughs> it wouldn't fit on the album anyway. So <laughs> it, became, it was a single, you know. And then eventually, just when we were doing it, just got the idea, right? Oh, yeah, this is a single, isn't it? Because there's no fucking we can fit it on. We're not going to edit it down because we've spent ages making it six minutes long. Yeah. So, no. Uh, <laughs> it's a funny thing, Blue Monday, because, I mean, DJs love it. I mean, none of us thought we did DJs. We did not DJ, was it? So, like, not totally black dude. <laughs> um, yeah. But we've been going to heaven, wasn't it? We went to heaven a couple of times. And like, you just hear these, like this stuff by Sylvester. It just sounded great. And it, we just needed to try to do something. That sounded yeah. like that, that had that same kind of vibe and diet. Because we were, again, we went to um, hip hop stuff. I remember there was a like, client at MBO yeah. uh, doing it showing Reds, Peach Boys. We did like Arthur's Planet Rock stuff. We'd get to meet Arthur. Yeah. We'd heard like Van Barter and all that stuff. So we'd try to mix all that up. And chucking us a bit of Eddie and Maricone as well, which yeah, we try and chuck in Eddie and Maricone. Yeah, it's always if in <laughs> doubt, you know, get a fistful of spaghetti. So that was uh, that was Blue Monday. It was yeah, uh, just an experiment. Yeah, it was an experiment. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of things because it was a, the story, but it was like written so we didn't have to. Do an encore, yeah. One myth, yeah. Then um, Ber- Bernard's it's... song got it, so we that didn't work. Did have a bow child? Yeah. It started off as a very bar. Yeah. Then oh yeah, that's why right. I had the speech synthesizer. I pulled on the bit of singing on the Apple computer, but it mysteriously got worked. Oh, did it? There's nobody liked it. <laughs> But it's, it's kind of one of the things that, that it, it never really goes away. It's that I, I can never really think of it as a, a song. It's yeah. just like... A track. A machine. Yeah, a machine it's, it's a machine thing. It's supposed to play it in Spain a lot. Yeah, it was when uh, people went on holiday to Spain in the Spanish clubs in the 80s and got played at clubs and when you'd had a few sangrias. So that's what happened to it because it went it went in the charts and it went down again. Then people went on all day to the Costa del Sangria, came back and it went back up the charts again. So there you go. You know, I mean, I was listening to the Top Forty Countdown on a, on, a, on a Sunday, and I was hoping to hear, you know, the new New Order track. Obviously, I didn't know what it sounded like yet, and uh, I kind of tuned in and I, it was there as soon as I went for it. So. What was it like number twelve or something? I think it went in out or something like that. And it was just this is it. I knew it was it, but it was just all instrumental. And it's like so it must have been. I must have tuned in towards the end. It was just like I think this is it. I think this is it. It sounds amazing anyway. So uh, it's got to be it. And it, and it was it. And that was New Order, Blue Monday. And it's like right, I'm gonna go and get it. That'll be the charge. 
Well, I'm going to let you go because that was amazing and I feel exhausted because I've, <laughs> because I've, la I've, I've laughed out loud so much. It's just wonderful, wonderful to talk to you again uh, in this, yeah, in, a, in, a, in a new situation, you know? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, honest, make, make sense of it all. <laughs> well, say hi to everyone and uh, lots of love. Thank you so much. All right, so right, Tim. Let's conclude this listening party with a classic Blue Monday. That was a classic by New Order. What a pleasure it was to be joined on this episode of my listening party by Gillian Gilbert and Stephen Morris to tell me all about New Order's power corruption and lies. As always, I am to finish each listening party with a handful of artists I've been listening to this past week. I have a list. So, the first thing I've been listening to a lot is uh, Here We Go Magic, and the album's called A Different Ship. Um, some fantastic tracks on there, but um, How Do I Know If I Love You is just an absolute banger Sudan Archives Natural Brown Prom Queen uh, she's on Stone's Throw a uh, violinist uh, brilliant singer and um, seems to feature on a lot of my favourite records but um, this is her new album and it's really fantastic particularly tracks like Homemaker and Selfish Soul been listening to a lot of Sade since Lloyd Cole mentioned it the other week about uh, her being at the top of the hill uh, of the street that he used to live. So I've been listening to uh, Love Deluxe by Sade. That's a, it's an absolute classic. And the last one is a funny one, really. Uh, Rupert Holmes. I Don't Want to Get Over You is the track that I've been listening to a lot. And uh, the album's called Songs That Sound Like Movies. Uh, Rupert Holmes, I don't know whether you're familiar, but he is the one who wrote the song um, the Pina Colada song which is actually also, no also known as Escape but um, everyone knows the Pina Colada song feel free to let me know what you've been listening to along with your thoughts on this episode by tweeting me using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party every song on this episode of my listening party was taken from New Order's Power, Corruption and Lies all tracks were written by New Order the album was released on Factory see you next time Absolute Radio, telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.